This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Houston, we have a podcast. You're listening to the Premier Rockets Podcast. It's H-Town Hoops, hosted by Brandon Scott and Adam Spolane. It is another edition of the H-Town Hoops Podcast with yours truly, Brandon Scott and Adam Spolane, Austin Mendez, producing this thing for us behind the scenes. And... We've got a few things to get into, Adam. It has been about a week since we last talked. Got a couple of Rockets headlines, at least in terms of what direction they might be wanting to go in in this offseason. A lot to discuss between free agency and the draft. And we've been doing it over the last couple of weeks, going to be doing it throughout the offseason. And I do want to talk about at least a report that came out about some of their priorities, some names that we can actually throw around i think that we've kind of looked at before or just some of them that we've discussed before but they're actually kind of out there now that we're getting into the offseason but i want to lead off with jalen green's interview with paul george and i'm sure you've probably read at least some of the things that have come out of it but the main thing and they and they talked for about i don't know close to 50 minutes or so and maybe longer but the gist of it and the thing that I want to get into get into with you, Adam, more specifically, is the James Harden rumors and the link to James Harden uh, with the Houston Rockets this offseason and free agency. And Paul George sort of led the witness a little bit. He didn't really ask Jalen Green specifically about, hey, how do you feel about James Harden joining the team? How do you feel like you guys fit? He just kind of led it off with just saying how he thought that they fit, that he didn't think that it was a good fit sort of um i don't i wouldn't say culturally but just for the for the timeline more so he didn't his exact quote was just that it could you know he could you know help him in some ways and teach him in some ways but also in some ways hinder his his development and his growth and jalen green agreed with him and so that's that's the gist the gist of it jalen green saying yeah i agree it could help and it could hurt at the same time we haven't really talked about the rumors and so I think this is an opportunity for you and I to discuss the fit and maybe speak to these, uh, you know, theories that they wouldn't fit together or that somehow James Harden as a ball dom- dominant guard would hinder Jalen Green's development, Jabari Smith's development, Alperin Shingun's development, the development of the young players that they've invested in. Jalen Green sort of breathed a little bit life into, life into this by speaking with Paul George and at the very least sort of co-signing Paul George in leading the witness, as I said. So, so where are you on this? What's sort of your reaction to Jalen Green suggesting that, yeah, it could help a little bit in some ways, but it could also hurt and 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 sort of at least speaking to the James Harden rumors. I, I want to know how it could hurt him. Um, like it, it's it's one thing that like in what ways would it hurt Jalen Green to have James Harden on the team? I, th- I think that's the first question that I that I would have to ask. And I don't think he spelled it. I don't think they went into that, but I guess that would be the first question that I would have for Jalen Green. Okay, I, I understand the part where you say, yeah, it might help you, but how exactly would it hurt you by having James Harden on the roster? And I just, do you have a, a high, do you, do you have any idea kind of what he's thinking in that regard? So the way it's positioned and the way that Paul George positions it, and I would say even the way I've seen others position it, is that James Harden is going to have the ball too much and that that's going to take away from Jalen Green having the ball as much as he should. And and I would even suggest this much, that Jalen Green at this point in his career is not like an excellent off-ball player. 
And he even spoke to it at various points, or at least at some point in that interview with Paul George, that, you know, he doesn't really like standing around in the corner. And that's just not really his thing. That's not really his game. And we probably even agree on that, but that's not a good use of his of his skill set or anything or his ability. So so the idea was that it is basically that James Harden would have the ball too much and that Jalen Green wouldn't be allowed to create or to cook, as they say. Here's my problem with that. If you don't think that you're very good, like, you know, quote, quote unquote, standing in the corner, then move around, you know, make yourself available in, in other ways. And yeah, I understand that somebody like James Harden, he likes to shoot the ball a lot, but he also gets you the ball if you're in the right spot and if you make yourself available to him. So I, I think personally, that's a bit of a cop out because I'm trying to think of the best way to put this. Jalen Green's an incredible talent, but is he great with the basketball in his hands? Like, I mean, we, we just said he, he's not great playing off the ball. I, I don't think he's been great with the ball in his hands either. Yeah. And if you're not comfortable doing something, the better, the best way to get better at it is to keep doing it. And and I always kind of go to this and, and I, I, I hate having to do cross sports stuff, but I'm, I'm going to do it anyways. Um, there, the, uh, the, there was a, 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 a minor league baseball manager who coached outfielders really good at it too. And I remember we had an outfielder, uh, who was just out of the draft out of USC and the manager says to him, Hey, are you better going back on balls or are you better coming in on balls? And he said, I'm, I can't remember what he said. I think he said, I'm, be- I'm better coming in on balls. Well, then the manager said, okay, I'm going to play you shallow because you clearly is, if you're not comfortable having to go, having to, uh, to go back on balls or whatever I just said, I'm going to put you in that position to where you're having to do something that you aren't comfortable with because that's how you get better and that's how you develop. So for Jalen Green, if you're not comfortable not having the ball on your hands, then maybe you need to play more without the ball on your hands. And then the other thing I would say to that, um, when Kevin Porter Jr. was out of the lineup, when, when he had the toe thing, um, it, it gave Jalen Green an opportunity to have the ball more and to run the offense more. And he wasn't necessarily the point guard. They weren't necessarily running the offense through him, but he had the ball more. Would you say that he looked like a guy who could carry an offense like that during that 20-game stretch? I didn't think so. I think that he could do it for stretches for, you know, stretches within a game, but he's not going to be able to to be the guy who's going to have the ball for you that much. And so if anything, having James Harden or another point guard on the roster basically serves as a, a bit of a safety valve for him to where he does, he's not asked to do more than he's able to do. And so I, I think one of the, what's difficult for some of these guys is that you put them in a position where they're doing more than they're able to do. And then I think that hurts them. It hurts their production on the floor. And then it hurts the team at the same time. I think you saw this with green as a rookie or he's, he just wasn't ready, you know, and it's, he wasn't supposed to be ready. He's a rookie. He's 19 years old playing in the NBA in the first, you know, month or so it was really bad because he just, he wasn't ready for, for what was about to come. So I, I saw the answer that he gave. I didn't like it. I just think if you want to get better as a player, you have to be able to do more things. And to say that I'm not comfortable with the basket without the ball in my hands, well, you need to get comfortable with it because I don't know if Jalen Green, Jalen Green wasn't the best player on the team last year. And I don't know if he's going to be the best team, best player on the team moving forward. So he needs to get comfortable with a whole lot of different roles. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. I was, I was more so if I could say disappointed that that was their analysis of James Harden, I thought that as basketball players, guys who, you know, who obviously play in the league, Paul George and Jalen Green, so know more about the game than you and I do, I would expect them to have a more astute analysis of James Harden, at least the James Harden that's playing today. Like if, to me, I feel like, and you tell me if you agree with this or if you can see this at all in some of the analysis, but it feels like we're conflating the James Harden that was in Houston previously with the James Harden that we believe would be coming in this situation. Like it's a different player. You know, like I, it, it feels like it, there's not enough consideration being given to what James Harden's been in Philly 
and in Brooklyn over the last few years. And there's too much of a fixation on what James Harden was in Houston. And it's like, hey, well, that and Jalen Green is not going to work. But it's it's almost like, hey, you know, are, are we forgetting that he's not, you know, part of the criticism is like, oh, he's not the same player that he was however many years ago. But but yeah, but there it, but in some ways that is what makes him a better fit now. The fact that he's not the guy that's going to take all the shots and be the one that everything is necessarily centered around. I think I don't know. I, I, it, it feels like a, a miscalculation on exactly what James Harden is now. Like if you want to if you want to say all the stuff about, hey, he doesn't come up big in the clutch and you don't like the way that he left and, and you know, all of those sort of things. I get that. But to say like I was surprised to hear Paul George say, hey, James Harden's going to have the ball all the time. You're not going to be able to have the ball. I, I don't even, I'm not even sure that, that that's exactly how it would play, because because the thing is, James Harden actually can spot up and shoot. Right. Like he actually would be an asset in that way. And that's not necessarily how you want to use them primarily. But to me, I just I feel like good, talented basketball players can figure out ways to play together. James Harden actually did. People talk about he didn't coexist with with the stars in Houston. He actually had a lot of success with his co-stars in Houston. Uh, every one of them. Dwight Howard, uh, Chris Paul and even Russell Westbrook to a degree. I know it ended kind of, you know, in a disappointment, obviously, but I don't know. It just. Do you sense that, that there's maybe a miscalculation on who James Harden is or just the way yes. that we talk about him? Yes, I think 100%. I don't think that the perception that people have of James Harden, the basketball player, is at total odds with the basketball player that he has been over the course of his career. Um, I, I get he shoots the ball a lot. Like I, I understand that. But he's also led the league in assists twice. And so if you are a quote unquote ball hog, if that's what you are as a player, you're not leading the league in assists multiple times over the course of your career. It's just not going to happen. Um, he has, he has made teammates a lot of money by getting them the basketball. Clint Capella has made a significant amount of money over the course of his career because of the lobs that he got from James Harden. Yeah. Um, and, and now he's, he's kind of had the same thing with Trey young in Atlanta. Um, PJ Tucker made a lot of money based off of a playing defense, which is important, but also just making shots that were created for him by James Harden. So uh, if you make yourself available, he is going to get you the ball. And, you know, they won 65 games with James Harden and Chris Paul as the two best players. And there was all this, well, how are they going to coexist? How are they going to share the, the basketball? It's not hard. Like it's, it's not hard to share the basketball with other people if they're ready for it. Um, he shared the ball with, like you said, he shared the ball with Russell Westbrook and the first year that he led the league in assists, he didn't do so with, a, he did not have a co-star on that team. Right. It was him and a bunch of really good players. It was him and Patrick Beverly and Eric Gordon and Ryan Anderson and Capella and Nene and Corey Brewer for part of that season. And then it was Lou, you know, it was a lot of different guys none of whom were stars, yet he still led the, led the league in assists because he trusted those guys and he created them shots and those guys knocked those shots down. So the idea that he's a selfish player and he's a ball hog and all this other stuff, it flies in the face of what he's done throughout his entire career. He is one of the best passers that we have ever seen. That is, that is you cannot argue that. He is going to get you the ball. He's going to see everything on the floor. He's going to give you an accurate pass that is right in your shooting pocket, and you have to be ready to shoot. So I just – the discourse around the guy, you can you can certainly poke holes at the big game record, at the playoff stuff. That's more than fair. But the, the characterization of him as just a one-dimensional ball hog who's only looking to score, it it's not accurate. And all you have to do is just watch the games. All you have to do is look at the, at the stat line at the end of every season. And I'm going to look, I mean, he's, I should have had this pulled up before we even started. Um, but this is a guy, I'm just going to go through his assists per game. This is since joining the Rockets. So this is what a 10 or 11 year stretch of just his assists per game. 5.8, since leaving the Rockets, uh, he was averaging, let's see, 10.9 assists per game with Brooklyn. Um, 
uh, after the trade uh, from Houston. Uh, last year with Brooklyn and Philly, he combined to average 10.3 assists. And then this year he was at 10.7 assists. So that's double digit assists that he has averaged now for three straight years. He's now done it four times over the course of his career. That's not a ball hog. Like that's a guy who's looking to make plays for others. And that's a guy who's looking to make players better. So just the discourse around it, it's just so inaccurate. And it's, it's frustrating that you see smart people who act, who act this way about the guy and who say this stuff about the guy, because it could not be further from the truth. Yeah. Well, this is one of the reasons why I find sports really interesting in the way that we talk about them, because a lot of it really is, when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Like the discourse is where like narratives really take over sort of some of your common sense and, and a lot of like the facts and the data that's presented to you, like the things that you actually see with your eyes. But the things that you say and talk about and hear are what you more so gravitate than what you're actually seeing. And so. It, like it, it feels like there's a lot more energy and attention paid to the tacky way that James Harden left Houston which was tacky and indefensible any way you look at it. I, I don't, You know what? And I'm sorry to interrupt you. I, I see this all the time. He's a quitter, blah, blah, blah. Get over it. Yeah. You know, it's business. This is all business. At well, the end of the day, he yeah. made a business decision, and the Rockets made a business decision, and get over it. Be an adult about it. It's over. It happened. It was ugly, no doubt about it. But the fact that the team who he left, the fact that the team that he – quote unquote quit on they want him back that tells you all you want to know about the situation they don't care it set them up to where now they have a pretty you know they have a decent young core of players and without that trade they don't have that so it happened move on be an adult about it i would say this i agree with you first of all but i would say even this even if you don't want to be an adult about it even if you want to be and i want to know what you think about this because this is kind of a, like a a twisted fan view of it. Like if you're a fan of the team and you can't get over this, I would even submit to you that like, if you want to sell yourself on James Harden or the idea of it, I would submit to you that in some ways he owes you this. Like if you feel robbed and cheated by James Harden, which again, like you just spoke to get over it, be an adult. This is business. Of course we know that. But if you don't view it that way and you feel sincerely robbed and cheated by James Harden for the way that he left and you're offended by the way that he left. Don't forget. Like the fact that he is. A huge reason of why your picks next year won't matter, like the the trade, the trade, the, tra the basically the Russell Westbrook trade, right? That is a James Harden creation you know, shipping Chris Paul off for Russell Westbrook. And it's because of those picks, the reason why you actually need to be good next year or it doesn't as much benefit you to be terrible. I would think of it if you're a fan, at the very least, if James Harden is the best available free agent in a year where you can't be bad because of a move that you made to placate him, at the very least he could do is come help you not be bad. Like it, like if you want to view it from an emotional sense, you should almost view it like James Harden owes you this to come pay you a solid and help you get out of the mud that you feel like he helped you uh, get stuck in or, or the mess that you feel like he helped you create. And, and, and that's just some level of mental gymnastics that I did from a fan perspective. But you could look at it that way. You could look at it the way that you present it like, hey, man, this is just. This is just how things go sometimes. This is, business sometimes is ugly, but like that—that's not a reason to sort of, you know, to to continue to be bad or, or like an excuse to like not improve your team or to not add a player 
that significantly upgrades areas in which you are severely lacking. Like you, you ran down the assist. You talk about the assist, and that's important, obviously, because he come in and be the point guard. But I think about the three point shooting. You know, he's not he's not this, the player that he was at, at one point. But people, for, I don't know if people realize this or or not, but it's easy to look up. There are, I'm pretty sure, only two people in the history of the NBA who who have made more threes than James Harden. I'm pretty sure it's Steph Curry and Ray Allen. And after that, it's James Harden, if I'm not mistaken. Like, he's up there. Like, he's he's a legitimate shot creator and shot maker. Two things that you just are sorely lacking on this team. Um, and, and it's not to say uh, that, hey, like, it didn't matter in the, at the time, in the moment. But, like, we are in a different time. Where this is three. This is now three years later. And how long are you willing to be bad, even as a fan, you know, much less the the actual organization itself, which I think is the best point that you made was that, hey, for all of this narrative stuff, for all of this discussion that we have about, hey, James Harden is this and that like they they do not view him that way. The team itself does not view him that way. So what are you going to do with that? The team that you root for or or this, this organization itself values James Harden. You probably better get with the program. And you look at the roster that they have now, and again, it hasn't hasn't translated to wins, but they don't have if if they had kept James Harden, and they would have played the whole thing out. Great, they they maybe make the playoffs in those years, and they probably get bounced very early. And now you're just looking at an old roster that doesn't have a whole lot of hope. At least now, you have Jalen Green, you have Jabari Smith, you have the fourth pick in this year's draft. You have you know you have other pieces, so it, it set them up. Um, in a position to where they can rebuild and they can rebuild on the fly. And it's not necessarily easy. And we're seeing that it's not easy, but it was the trade was the best thing for both sides. I think the trade was the best thing for the Rockets moving forward. Uh, not from necessarily a competitive standpoint, but from a rebuilding standpoint, it was the best thing that could happen because that team had run its course. That group had run its course. They weren't going to go anywhere with that core together. And I think that at least those sides knew it. And for Harden, it gave him an opportunity to, to start over someplace fresh. And I think it kind of gave him more of an appreciation for what he had with the Rockets. Um, so I, it's anyone there. There are reasons to be against the Rockets bringing in James Harden. But anyone who says to me, he's a quitter, we don't want him back. Just stop. You know, just stop that. That's the one that's the one area where that I can't listen to. And I, 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 and the people who say, well, he's a choker in the playoffs, I don't care about that either because this team has won 20 games uh, the last two years. It doesn't matter to me. Here's, here's my question, though, for you. Um, if Jalen Green goes to Rafael Stone and says, nah, let's not do this, does that matter? Should that matter? Should Jalen Green have veto power over this situation? Should, should Jalen Green have veto power over any moves that they make? Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's tough because I think what Jalen Green thinks matters, but I absolutely do not think he should have veto power over a move as significant as that. Like a, a move as significant as adding a player of the level and caliber of James Harden. I think even a, a less caliber player, even, you know, it doesn't even have to be that good of a player. I, I, I don't think like, like Jalen Green is a phenomenal basketball talent and like prodigy, but I, I can't speak to his general manager qualifications. You know what I mean? And, and you know, like uh, unless there's something like really deeply personal that's going on to, to to why they wouldn't be able to work together. And and that's not the case. Like we know that that it's not that, you know, I I could not do that. No, it, it'd have to be something drastic for me to give him veto power. It had to be something very drastic and specific. It couldn't just be, hey, I don't want to stand in the corner or he dribbled a ball too much like nah. That's not going to do it. So I, I would say no. I think it's 
Hell, since we're here, I think it's even interesting that that we've heard that they floated um, that they floated Jalen Green's name, or I, I shouldn't say that they floated his name. There have been either calls or some discussions on Jalen Green. Like you got to think about it like that. Like that they, they are still trying to figure out exactly. It's not for sure. I, as much as I like Jalen Green as a pro, as a like I said a, as a prodigy, it is not for sure. And you kind of hitting on this earlier. It is not a for sure thing that he is the franchise player and the guy moving forward. Like that's like they're prioritizing him in that way, but it's not like they're at the point where they couldn't even pivot off of that idea if they decided to, or if, or if they were given uh, a good enough, you know, a good enough offer, or, you know, we talked about this before. Like if, if someone throws out Luca or like one of the top five, top eight guys in the league or something like that, you're able to get somebody like that. You would do it. So, I mean, so, so no, not, he's not that level of player. I don't even think even close yet. Does he, does he have some traits and some things that makes you think that he could be the type of player who would have veto po- veto power eventually? And one day, absolutely. He he absolutely has that. But today, as you ask the question, as we speak right now, no, I would say no. I just want to see if we're on the same page on that. We are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and I want to get back in a little bit to some of the Rockets' priorities. We uh, – we can discuss that as well, but but before we do, I don't I don't want to miss this other part that Jalen Green hit with Paul George in that interview. It was a quick aside and a quick mention, but you know Paul George is asking him about Ime Udoka, and of course, as we know, they've met, they've they've spent some time together, I believe, in Los Angeles, and you know made some sort of connection already, but sort of unsolicited there at the end as a throwaway Jalen Green mentions that we need structure you know he says we need structure for sure and that stood out to me um that he would say that and you know I think that's something that we've spoken on before and and something that we already kind of understand but like I don't know I'm, I'm, I'm curious what you what you think about like the the structure that they need. And in some ways, I wonder if if people erroneously think that James Harden would disrupt whatever structure they're trying to provide them. I don't think that that's necessarily the case. But as far as like Ime Udoka and the structure that he could provide, like like where where, where do you see that? Where do you see, see, sort of see the value in that exactly? Yeah, I, I have to know exactly what he's talking about in terms of structure. Like, is he talking about on-court structure? Is he talking about, you know, structure within an offense, structure within a defense? Is he talking about off-court structure? Well, so, I, I would ask you this. Let me let me, let me me re-ask it a little bit better. Where would you say it was most glaring with the Rockets as you've watched them over the last couple of years that they've lacked structure the most? And let's, let's just keep it on court for now. We know that they're young, and we know some of the personalities that they've had over the last couple of years. But as far as on the court, where have they most lacked structure? I would I would start with everywhere. Yeah, that, that's the answer. <laughs> but the answer but, is everywhere. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So is it is it that is it that easy enough to say that they could stand to? I mean, it is it is the truth. Like on the offensive end, lack of structure. No idea what they're doing on the offensive end. On the defensive end, no idea what they're doing on the defensive end. And at times not even given the proper effort that you would expect, especially from young legs, from young players who are supposed to be hungry and excited about being in the league and all of that. So I'm just, and so I guess the next logical question is how that translates exactly of the structure that he made Udoka provide. It sounds like it's going to be a, a, a hell of a task, like a daunting tall task to provide structure for a team that we can't even specify where the structure is needed because apparently there is none. Well, it's, it's like kindergarten. That's kind of what this team is. Like you have a bunch of, you're trying to, it's trying to rope in cats essentially with, with this team. And I actually thought defensively, they played with some structure. Like they had a, they had a system, they had a defensive system. It was just, they weren't, they were unable to execute it most of the time. So I think that's, that was one of the big issues there offensively. And this was, this is a Silas thing where Silas was really, he didn't want structure. You know, Silas wanted you to play freely and, you know, he didn't want to make a bunch of play calls. And I think that ultimately 
a very young team needs you to, you know, to, to kind of have your hands on the offense a little bit more and not make it quite as free flowing. And so that's where I think the structure really comes from. I think some of the, the transition defense stuff, you know, where, um, the whole we're just, we're going to crash the boards at will and try to get as many offensive rebounds as we can. I think that led to a lot of, you know, unstructured basketball because you had guys who simply weren't getting back on defense. And so then all of a sudden your defense is in a really difficult spot because no one's back and you're just giving up easy points that way. And now you're having to take the ball out from under your net. And now you're not getting to play with the same pace that you wanted to. So um, I, I think that the, the structure definitely has to come on the offensive end of the floor, both with their first shot offense and what they do after the shot goes up. I, I don't think that they can play with the same, we're going to try and just send everybody to the offensive glass. I don't think that works. Um, it, it just, and we saw it last year. It did not work for them. It, and that's one area where I think that when we talk about structure, the structure is, Hey, shot goes up, get back. Yeah, man. Uh I don't know. I think that was a that was a kind of a thing with this team. Like a, you love to see them the energy that it takes to crash the boards and like the the extra opportunities. Because I mean, hell, they couldn't shoot, so you know, they didn't shoot well. So you like to think that you're, that you're crashing the boards when you know you can't shoot that well. But at the same time, you do need to get back, and you do need to kind of get get used to that. Um, but yeah, man, I just. I think about Jalen Green, another thing that he talked about was, you know, learning better to kind of pick his spots. And, you know, and this has kind of been his issue ever since he got in the league, like slowing down a little bit, pacing himself and thinking the game through, you know. And, and so maybe that's why it stood out to me the most is that it feels like structure, structure to me, Adam, is going to benefit Jalen Green the most. I feel like, or, or per, per, perhaps the most, at least on the offensive end, from the standpoint of, hey, he knows what he's doing. He can, you know, in, in working in on his game, he can sort of kind of pick his spots, his favorite spots on the floor, some of his go-to moves. Right now, it just feels like he's a bat out of hell for the most part. Um, and sometimes that's a good thing, especially when his jump shot is working. Um, what we learned this past year is when it's not, it's uh you know he's able to get to the free throw line that was a pretty good development in this game but i feel like structure i don't know for for whatever reason when i think lack of structure i think of jalen green's uh somewhat aimless game you know his mixed bag of of offense honestly like kind of just really a raw athletic talent who's got a lot of ability but doesn't really seem to always know what he's doing out there or know how he wants to attack a defense like I, I still don't feel great about that even with all the great games that Jalen Green has had over the last couple of years you know he's had these spots here and there where he goes off for 40 or whatever it is or 30 or 40 whatever it is it still has not felt like he really knows exactly how he wants to attack a defense yeah and but I think that's the sort of stuff that comes and that's where you know, having James Harden next to you in the backcourt helps. And that's why I'm really interested. And, in, you know, we'll see if we actually get an op. We'll see if this actually happens. But I would like to know from Jalen Green, okay, where, what areas do you think James Harden helps you? What areas? I mean, you said it. You said it, it, it might hurt you in some ways. What areas do you think it might hurt you? So, you know, that's uh, that's fodder for media day. I appreciate it, Paul George. Yeah. At the, yeah, at the very least, like if, you know, it's one thing for, the athlete to not be like a trained interviewer, but at the very least, if you're going to sit down with a headliner like that for 50 minutes, get us some good nuggets, get us some food for thought, some things to follow up on. And I appreciate Paul George for at the very least doing that. Uh, a couple of other things that came out since the last time that we spoke. For one, we know that veteran point guard is a top priority for the Rockets. And I, I feel like we've known that for a while, but we've got this list out here. Um, I think this is our friend Kelly Eco from The Athletic who mentions, there's actually a couple of reports that I want to run by you, but the first one is where Kelly mentions that acquiring a veteran point guard is Houston's primary objective, which means that even if the move for Harden doesn't materialize names like Mike Conley, 
Jordan Clarkson, Dante DiVincenzo, and even former Rockets player Chris Paul could be considered should they become available. Um, he also mentioned earlier in the piece that other high-ranking targets for Houston included Brooke Lopez, Dylan Brooks, uh, Cam Johnson, and Austin Reeves. Um, let's start with that list of point guards, and you can actually go in any direction that you want, but um, but since veteran point guard is the top priority, and we did a little bit of version of, of this, I think, in the last episode of non-hardened targets that they can make, but do, do any of these names excite you at all or interest you at all? The Mike Conley, Jordan Clarkson, Dante DiVincenzo, and the most familiar and, and oldest Chris Paul. Um, I don't really consider probably like half of those guys to even be point guards necessarily. Like, yeah, that's fair. I, I don't think of Dante DiVincenzo as a point guard. I don't, I, you know, I don't think of Jordan Clarkson necessarily as a point guard. They're they're not to be fair. Yeah, they're they're, so they're I, flat out I mean, guys. So I I cross those two off the list. Well, I I wouldn't cross off DiVincenzo because I, I do think you know. Clarkson's a scorer. I don't really think that's an area that the Rockets really need at this point. So I would cross him off. DiVincenzo is interesting because he, you know, he's can play defense. He can play downhill a little bit. He can shoot a little bit. So I wouldn't necessarily cross him off. Um, Conley, I don't see that happening. I, it seems like he's just going to go to Minnesota. He's just going to stay there because they can, you know, they have bird rights on him and he seemed to play, they, they seem to play really well once he got there. So that would seem to be very unlikely. Uh, it's not a horrible idea though. Um, he's a professional and he understands how to run an offense. And that's an area that this team could really use. And, you know, it's, it's not any sort of a, a long-term type of commitment. Um, Chris Paul is interesting again, because he gives them something that they don't have, but it didn't exactly end well here the last time. So, like, I, I certainly get if Phoenix wanted to try and trade him and if they did some sort of a three-team deal, you know, the Rockets could take Paul into, into the cap space. But I, I can't imagine he would have any interest in that. You know, it, he, he's been playing on a team that um, went to the finals two years ago. It finished with the best record in the NBA last year. They have Kevin Durant now this year. I, I can't see him like, oh, hey, yeah, I'm just going to go back to Houston and I'm going to play for an owner that I don't really like and who was, who, you know, probably a little disrespectful to him uh, back when he signed the extension, back when he was with the team. So I can't imagine that that's a reunion that he would welcome. So I, so those names, they all seem very unlikely at this point of the, of the point guards that you mentioned. Yeah. And, and I do think I, I would just mention Chris Paul. So I, I find them all interesting and, and all to be players that could help the team. I think, I think Jordan Clarkson is somewhat like he is right now, probably a better, maybe a better Kevin Porter Jr. But I, I kind of see Kevin Porter Jr. being Jordan Clarkson or something like that. Yeah. You know, he's so a I don't, six man. He's a perfect guy to have come off your bench. Yeah. And get scoring boost. And I yeah. think as, as we've talked about a few times now, not just since the season ended, but during the season, like Kevin Porter Jr. would be really good in that role of, coming off the bench and giving your offense some juice. So yeah, I, that, that seems like you said, that, that one seems to be a little redundant for me. Yeah. But Dante DiVincenzo does interest, interest me in this way. Like say we go along the train of thought of Kevin Porter Jr. Becoming this spark plug off the bench. I wouldn't mind if they were, and this wouldn't be as good as, as having like, say, James Harden, Chris Paul, or Mike Conley, right? Experienced, accomplished point guards, okay? Those, those would all be, you know, preferable options. But let's say you were to do some combination of either one of those guys, one of those veteran guys, or draft a point guard, because that's that's out there, right? That's going to be available to them at the, with the number four pick if they end up picking there. They could do that and then pair him, like, and, and then if you, if you got – Jalen Green and Dante DiVincenzo, I actually like him in some kind of role. Like, and I don't know what the money looks like for Dante DiVincenzo. And there were times, honestly, in these playoffs with the Warriors where they could have stood to, to have gotten more out of him. But I mean, he's a champion. I think he brings, like, obviously brings experience, brings some shooting. 
and bring some things that I feel like that they that they don't have. So, like, I would be down with DiVincenzo if you were also getting an actual point guard to go with it. You know, that would that would make more sense to me. Um, he's a career 36% shooter from three. He almost shot 40% from three this year. So that obviously would be a huge help. Um, so yeah, it's not, it's not a bad idea. Um, in a sense though, you're kind of, well, I guess you could say they probably already have given up on Josh Christopher, but that would seem to be his role that you're, so, I mean, would you rather have DiVincenzo at whatever that salary is, or would you rather, you know, run it back another year with Josh Christopher and maybe give him another opportunity. Um, they got to win. They got to win this year, Adam. Yes. True. I mean, they can't, I mean, this is the experiment. That's the big thing. now. I mean, it's the, it's the huge thing. It's like the experiment is over with, but here's, here's my thing with that. And I totally get it. And this is a conversation that we probably need to have somewhere down the road. Like, is is it worth sacrificing develop? You know, is, is it worth, you know, maybe speeding up the clock a little too fast just because you're terrified of, of losing, of losing, of giving up a high pick. But would you, is it worth overpaying somebody like Dante DiVincenzo because you're terrified of what your pick next year might wind up being like, they could sign Dante DiVincenzo, like no question, but what is that getting you exactly? Is that getting you to, is that getting you from, is that getting you over the top of making the playoffs? Does that, you know, if, if you're going to make the that type of a splashy move or to, you know, overpay somebody like that, I, I think it's got, I think there's got to be a result that's going to get you a little bit more. And as much as you want to worry about the pick that you owe to Oklahoma City, and it's important, like no doubt it's important. And I, I do think that it, it does mean that you have to speed things up maybe a little bit more than you want to. But I think at the same time, you still have to be smart about where you're allocating your resources to. Um, and I'm not saying that Dante DiVincenzo would not be a smart way to allocate your resources, but you always have to keep that in the back of your mind. Like, okay, you know, we're not, you know, if you're the Rockets, you can't say, okay, we, we got 22 wins last year. We got to get to 40. Okay. How are we going to get to 40? And so I just think you have to be smart about who you're looking at and who you're signing. Like, that's why the Harden thing makes sense because yeah, with Harden, it would be an overpay, but that raises your, that raises your floor quite a bit. I think that we would both agree that would raise your floor a significant amount. But do some of these other guys, do they raise the floor in the same way? Like, are they getting you from 22 wins to 30 wins? Or are they getting you from 22 wins to 41 wins? Because that's ultimately, that's kind of the goal. Yeah. Well, and that's why I mentioned pairing it with something else like that. Like, it's not like, hey, sign Dante DiVincenzo. And and hey, that, that. And hey, that'll fix it. Like, that. that's not what anybody would say. But but I think along with what you're saying, the other side of it is also weighing the opportunity cost of investing in a particular player or a group of players for however long. Like you you have to decide how long is it worth it to invest in this player and, you know, and to, to what degree he's going to be like what like what am I waiting for? Exactly. Like like with Jalen Green and Alperin Shingoon, for example. Those are guys that it feels like is it's worth waiting a few years for because you can see them being elite play, you know, like that you can see elite potential within them. Like they've got some elite traits. So it's like, hey, if we wait on this, this guy could be a star. But like with Josh Christopher, how long like it just as an, as an example, it could be Dacian Nix, it could be any of the other guys that have had ups and downs and mostly downs in their tenure with you know, their short couple of years here with the Rockets. Like, how long do you invest in a guy like that at the cost of not investing in somebody that can help you win now? Like, you're waiting on him to develop into what exactly? You know, like the guy that you would basically be overpaying right now anyway um, that could help you win more games now. So I feel like they've got to weigh that. Like, I I mean, I was watching – a couple of days ago, the we were at this guy. I feel like we sat next to each other at this game, the the Kings game, right before the trade deadline, when Eric Gordon fouls De'Aaron Fox at the end of the game, and Jalen Green went off that game, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that was his. Uh, yeah, I think he went off for 41 that game, and Josh Christopher was in the game, and I'm watching, and I'm like, man, you know, I like his energy, and you know, he's obviously was drafted for a reason 
But how long are they going to be able to have players like that on the team? How long are they going to be able to give minutes, valuable minutes that actually develop players like that? How long are they going to actually be able to do that? And what is the cost of that? And can they can, can they still afford to do it? I feel like last year and the year before they could afford to do it. Now it just feels a lot more costly when you consider what's at stake and what they have in front of them. They've got the money to, to spend. They've made all of these draft picks. You know, uh, free agency is right in front of them right here. You know, like it just it seems like, you know, it's it like I said, it, it just seems like the experimental time is over with. And, and now you've got to go with, hey, these are the these are the guys that we are still developing, not finished products, you know. Jalen Green, Jabari Smith, Alper Shingun, Tari Eason, far from finished products, but we're investing in those guys. And we believe by the time those guys are in year three and year four, they'll be whatever they are. And, and some of these, you know, projects, the Garubas of the world, the Josh Christophers of the world, you know, love their energy. But, you know, you know, we got to start filling those roster spots with guys that can actually help you win games. Yeah. And I think that I've probably been one of the harsher critics of Josh Christopher over, you know, the last year or so. Um, but I think this is where, and, and I, I would really like to know from Rafael Stone, like how much does the Oklahoma city trade, how, how much does that like just altering the course of what you're trying to do now? Because I think you look at it and you say, okay, we won 20 games two years ago. We won 22 games last year. Ordinarily, you're just going to let this thing grow and you have all these first round picks. You want to let them grow a little bit, but because of the Oklahoma city trade and because of what they owe in the future, which is not normal, you know, that's not a normal, uh, that's not normal when it comes to this sort of stuff. It feels like that that changes the whole equation of of how they look to do this. Well, can I, can can I add, not to interrupt, can I add to that? I uh think it's, I think it's two things. It's that trade. And then the most recent development of not getting a top three pick. I like, I like, I also wonder if, if they would have felt differently about how, like, like maybe they care less about how things play out next year. If they've got one of those guys, obviously Victor Wimbanyama, I don't think that they care about anything else. If they get Victor Wimbanyama to hell with the picks to hell with whatever, if you get him. But even with Scoot Henderson or Brandon Miller, if they get one of those three players, I feel like at the very least they feel like they have a nucleus that they can feel good about and maybe not care as much about not being rewarded for failure. Yeah, well, for sure. And the other aspect of it is, okay, you could – and this kind of is what Sacramento did last year where they wound up with the fourth pick. They didn't necessarily need Jaden Ivey, so they went with the high floor guy in Keegan Keegan Murray who really filled a need for them, and so that he was able to get on the floor. He started for them last year, and he helped them win, you know, 50-whatever games, whatever it turned out. He's going to be really good too, by the way. Yeah, but you you look at this with the Rockets, and they wind up at four. They're in a completely different spot from Sacramento. So do you, if you're them, say, hey – Let's take a guy at four who's going to help us right away, even though the ceiling might be lower. Or do you say, okay, we'll take the guy with the higher ceiling, even though he's not going to help us win at all this year. This is a game. This is a year where we need to win. So I think that's where they are in such a difficult spot with this, because I think that, you know, one of the Thompson twins would really help them, not necessarily for this next season, but they are probably the more talented of those guys who you would be picking, you know, at four, but somebody like Anthony black, who, while the ceiling is lower, he would probably help them win more games next year. Or the Taylor Hendricks kid from Central Florida, you know, he's kind of a different player, but he could probably step in right away and help them win games next year. That would probably be better for them for the 2023-2024 season, but is that the right decision for them for the five years after that? And I think that's the decision that they have to weigh. It's like, okay, are we worried more about this next season or are we worried about – the handful of seasons that come after because when you're picking four to me you should at least in the position that they're in and the position that they're in is they've been one of the worst teams in the league the last three years they're coming off a 22 win season they need to be looking at the guy who is going to be best down the road as opposed to the guy who's going to be best in the immediate future and i think because they owe that pick to oklahoma city 
it feels like to me they are going to wind up going with the guy who is going to be best in the immediate future. And I think that that is probably a mistake. But we'll see. We'll see how that ends up. Yeah, man. I'm I don't know. I'm I'm stumped by that because I I I feel like I feel like the immediate I'm sorry. I feel like the immediate future play, if I can talk today, I feel like the immediate future play is obviously free agency. You know, like I, I agree with you that it would be a mistake. I don't understand why they would do that. You know, and I know you just kind of laid it out, but that doesn't that doesn't make sense, especially with that fourth pick. I mean, you might as well go upside. If that's you, what I would do. I mean, if you if you've got to make that pick, you should go upside regardless of position or whatever it is. Like, go upside. Who do you think is going to be the best dude out of the ones that are left over to you, and pick that guy no matter where he plays on the court. That's what I was, and especially in today's game where it's somewhat of a positionless is probably not the right word that people use, but there's like, it's more so like more, there's probably more than five positions. You know, it's like a multitude of positions that you've got out there. You, you just need really, really good basketball players with high upside and the immediate play feels more like the, like we're talking about here, the veteran point guard priority. All right, well go get, the best free agent that you feel like you can get that's probably james harden as a, as uncomfortable as that might be for some people who are listening is as, a, as uncomfortable as that might be he's probably the best guy out there um other options like like if mike conley was an option i think mike conley would be great for this team i think he would be excellent for this team the professionalism and the experience like I think he would command respect instantly. Like, I think he would be great for this team. I just, I'm, I'm with you. I don't think that that's really in play. Uh, Chris Paul, the same way. It's kind of, it's really unfortunate that, you know, the, that Chris Paul would be somebody that, you know, out of the two, out of him and James Harden, that he would be the one that you don't feel like there's a, you know, like the, like the bridge is burned there, so to speak. Like, you know, like you don't feel like you could reach out and have him come back. Um, so, so to me, the, the obvious play is to, you know, is to, is to draft for best player available and the guy that can, that has the, the highest upside, you know, like that. And to me, that guy should also, you know, in theory, be able to help you, um, you know, hopefully, obviously, and that he's able to help you early. Like it, like it, as soon as possible, like a, like a Keegan Murray, uh, Keegan Murray for you, you know, like to me, that just makes sense. Yeah. I mean, you could sign Harden, sign a couple other guys in free agency and then use, you know, that fourth pick as the guy who comes in and takes over once Harden leaves, you know, you could go sign Harden draft Amon Thompson at four and, you know, Harden is not going to play all 82 games. So he's able to get his feet wet a little bit in, in the games that Harden doesn't play. Maybe he gets some G league time here or there, but then whenever Harden is done, he just hands the baton over to Amon Thompson. Like to me, that would probably be the right play at least for them, but free agency, it's going to be really important. And the tough part about this whole thing is that you have to go to the draft first, you know, the NFL it's, it's a free agency, then draft, with the NBA, it's drafted in free agency. But my guess is that they'll have a pretty good idea of what Harden's plans will be um, once the draft does come around. But they are, to me, they're in a really difficult spot. And um, the lottery certainly wasn't kind, um, did not go the way that they wanted. But I, I think a lot of, as much as we're talking about guys that they might add, uh, whether it's through the draft or through free agency, the key is going to be, the guys that are already on the roster getting better because that's the best way to win more games is, is for the guys that you already have to develop, get better. And you hope that they produce more and that hopefully you would hope that that has some extra wins baked into it. And then whoever you add on the other side, that that helps out also. Right? Yeah, and, man. So. Yeah. Yeah. But as someone who wants good things to happen for the team, like immediately after the lottery and the way it played out, like my focus and attention and excitement level immediately went to 
Jalen Green and Alperen Shingun and Tari Eason and, and the player and Jabari Smith and the players that they've already drafted and the idea that they could develop and become better. They're young, inexperienced. J- Jalen and Alperen, obviously, obviously, uh, they do have some experience now, right? Like they, they are two years and in going into year three. Um, but a new coach and all of that, I'm like, hey, that's kind of that's kind of the thing that I'm really sort of more so excited about and, and fixated on going into this year and how Ime Udoka is able to develop that young talent. But I want to get out of here on this while we're talking about the veteran point guard priority and been talking about James Harden. Keith Pompey at the Philadelphia Inquirer reported last week that when the Rockets were doing their head coaching interviews, when they were interviewing head coaching candidates, they asked them during the interview process for their opinion on coaching James Harden. Um, I don't know. I guess we could have maybe figured that given their level of interest, but I, I, I want to get to this part with Harden. Like, first of all, I'd, I'd love to know what you think about, about that, about them asking about their opinion on a guy that, uh, you know, presumably was still playing even at the, at the time. Like, and I guess you, maybe you have to, I don't know. You can tell me. But, it's funny they asked Sam Cassell about it. Was that like, oh, since he's oh, actually coaching Harden? At the time. Yeah, yeah. No, that that would that would actually been hilarious. Like, so tell us, tell us, really, do you like this guy, or do you have to do you have to mf him every other day? Um, but but here's here's the thing I want to get to. The contract, the four years. I'm really curious to see how this plays out, Adam. I have no idea. I have no insight on this. But it feels like, like, are the Rockets going to be the ones with the appetite to give him a four-year deal at the max? Like, it feels like the smartest play for anybody would be to pay him on a two-year deal. And he seemed to have an appetite to do that, like to do a, a shorter deal than the past. I don't know if he does now, but that just seems like the smarter play for a team with James Harden. It's really the basis of, and I didn't think about it as much like this because we just get into talking about the basketball side of it, and you know I think a little bit less about the business side, but it really is the basis of accepting this hardened thing for me. I'm having a really tough time myself, and I'm on the same page as you, Adam, on all the ways in which Harden could help this team. But four years at the max, man, like it seems like what I'm getting at is it seems like Philly's reluctant to do it based off of the reporting and the chatter that I'm hearing. It feels like Philly's reluctant to do the four years. And I would think that the Rockets would be too. Where where are you at on these on this idea that he could get four years at the max for the level of player that he is today? Honestly, I don't think Philly has a choice. Um, I, I think that they have to, to go there just because they have a team with – the MVP, you know, they have the MVP of the league on the roster. And if you lose Harden, you're screwed. Like, let's just, you, you, you don't have the ability to replace him. Um, and, and so you're essentially just punting on the rest of the Embiid years. And that is obviously a huge mistake. That's what, so to me, I don't think the Sixers have any choice. Um, especially if the Rockets signal that they're going to do it, you know, so if you know Harden could say, "Hey, Houston's offering me two. If you don't offer me more than that, I'm leaving." Then Philly has to offer him more. I don't think that they have a choice. If I'm the Rockets, I don't want to do four years. No, of course not. I think that would be bad for business. I think that that would be bad business for them to give him four. But at the same time, like we've been saying, they got to get better. So. Like, are you willing to, if you're serious about wanting to get better, you might not have a choice either. So it's the whole two-year, four-year aspect and the contract, you know, I think that's where it becomes difficult. And if you're hardened, you've got to hold out for everything you can get because this is it. This is your last payday. And remember, he's lost money. Um, the Rockets offered him, you know, what, what I think it was two years, 101, when he when he asked for the trade. So he would have made, what, $50 million last year in the which would have been the first year of that contract and he made what i think it was 38 so he lost 12 right there and he's not going to be able you know the the max contract doesn't start at 50 so he's gonna lose money again so if you're him like this is it you gotta try and make that up 
And I think that he always just assumed when he turned down that extension from the Rockets uh, back in 2020 that the money would just always be there, and it just hasn't been. So um, I think ultimately Philly will give in and give him the four years, and then they'll get that done. Um, I don't know. And, and then if you're the Rockets, you kind of get taken off the hook. Like if Philly's willing to offer the four years, then the Rockets don't really have to offer the four years because one team already has, and they'll just take that you know, because Philly can offer more. Um, because of the escalators in the contract. So I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to do four if I'm either team, but Philly, you have to, if the Rockets, I guess you'd kind of reluctantly do it just to try and get better for next year and to get the guy back on the roster and to help your basketball team get better, at least for the next couple of years. But yeah, it wouldn't be necessarily, it's not something that I, that I'd want to do. And we just, we've kind of seen how these contracts age badly because they just had the wall contract. And, you know, Wall was, what, 32? And they could not, they couldn't get off of it. And so they just wound up having to buy him out eventually. Yeah, man, this has been a difficult one for me to decide who has leverage, if anybody. Like, I just can't, I've had a tough time pinning it down because out of these three parties, between the Sixers, the Rockets, James Harden, it feels like everybody needs the other interested party. You know, like... (laughs) Everybody needs everybody here. So it's hard for me to decide and settle on who it is exactly who's got leverage. But all right, man, we'll get back to this and do a little bit more of this next week. Uh, You know, the draft is getting closer. Obviously, it's about a month away. We'll figure out exactly what's going on. I'm pretty sure some more uh, Rockets headlines, some stuff that we could dabble into next week will come up. So so we'll do that. Uh, Make sure that you guys, the listeners, are telling people subscribing rating reviewing that helps really um i want to mention that rating and reviewing and you know getting it out word of mouth and telling people about the podcast uh really helps us grow the audience so we appreciate that for austin mendez producing this thing for us behind the scenes adam Swain, brandon scott here for you another edition of the h-town Hoops podcast make sure you subscribe and tell a friend